Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Many of us often have a great idea that would force others to stop and think and reflect on life and the bigger issues that face society. But how often do you actually go and make it happen? That's exactly what today's guest, Leon Ruri, did. Born in New Zealand, Leon moved to Australia in 1994. Leon is a solo dad of four teenagers who has worked up in Karatha and FIFO in his time. In March 2017, Leon had an idea and with only four weeks, that idea blossomed into the Anzac Hacker, Hacker for Life. From a call out on Facebook, over 200 men and women gathered to honour the Anzacs and bring awareness to men's mind health issues by performing the Hacker after the dawn service in Kings Park. It was such an extraordinarily powerful event that footage soon went viral with over 10 million views. Since then, in addition to his everyday job, Leon has, Leon has become founder of the Hacker for Life, a non-for-profit organisation that raises awareness for men's mind health, well-being and suicide awareness. Last year's Anzac Hacker for Life was big and with more preparation, this year's Anzac Day Hacker will prove to be even bigger as well as the powerful message that sits behind it. Leon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Bryn. Awesome to be here. Thank you. So, obviously, you grew up in New Zealand, and one of the things I always talk to my guests about at the start is their journey to Western Australia, because you, like myself, weren't born here. Yeah. Uh, some people were, a lot of people weren't. So, when you were growing up in New Zealand, how, this is going to be a great question, how did you regard Australia? How was it viewed? Oh, the land of milk and honey for me. <laughs> really? I, yeah, I remember being a teenager in Australia, young. We, I grew up in a town in New Zealand that was very strong with rugby league. Right. And and my family loved rugby league, so we'd watch the State of Origin series and, and the test matches of rugby league. And I wanted to go to Australia to play rugby league because that's that's what you saw on TV or on the videos at that time. And I wanted to be a rugby league player. Yeah. So I always just had the sense that I would live in Australia one day. I remember distinctly when I was a teenager at high school and I was in a social studies class. I'm not sure what they call them now. Yeah. And they asked, where are you going to be in the future? And I remember I just, I don't know, I had this inner feeling and this inner knowing that I was going to live in Australia. And so I would always looked to Australia as, well, I suppose in some ways the world looks to America as a place of promise or, yeah. you know, land at home. Maybe at this time it's a little bit different because of the president that's there, but hey, that's <laughs> another conversation. Yeah, but so I'd looked at Australia in, in that manner. Um, unbeknown to me, obviously, when you move here as a Kiwi into Australia, it's, it's a lot different yes. in the way that they um, view Kiwis in a good way. Yes. Uh, yeah, so it was um, you know, uh, quite an eye-opener once I got here uh, to, to see and learn about the culture here and to learn about the, you know, the society and, and how things are here in Australia. So yeah. that's, that's what I thought of Australia. Cool. And you came to Sydney first, was that right? I came to Perth first. Oh, I, I Perth. moved to Perth in, in 1994, in August 1994. Yeah, it was a Friday afternoon. I think it was either the nineteenth of August or the twenty sixth of August. One of those two days. Yeah, um, yeah. Friday afternoon. It was beautiful and warm, and landed here. And my mum, my dad, uh, my uncle was at the airport to to greet us. Uh, that was my myself and my cousin come over here. And yeah, I suppose it, you know when I say it was the land of opportunity or milk and honey and that. Uh, we, they used to have a bar at the international airport at, at Perth Airport. There, it's it's no longer there. So we went up there immediately in Australian tradition and you have a beer. 
So up there, as I say, we're keen rugby league players, and I saw a guy that had a, a rugby league shirt on, and I thought, well, I'll just go up and ask him whether he uh, knows where a good rugby league club was, and he said, who had you played for? Uh, asked a bit of background on my playing sort of career in New Zealand. I told him, and he said, well, you probably couldn't have met a better person. I'm the development officer for the Western Reds. Wow. Uh, yeah, Nigel Ashley-Jones. He ended up going on to be pretty famous in the fitness and or strength and conditioning world inside rugby league. He ended up at Warrington Wolves in England up your way yeah. and, and at Wigan. And last time I seen him, he was on TV with the Canberra Raiders. So it was, was great. And, you know, I'd still call him a good friend today. I haven't seen him for a lot of years, but it was just through a simple conversation, much like this one, yeah. where you never know what comes out of it, that I asked the question. And that was a Friday. I think it was the Monday morning. Uh, we are in the office at the Wacker ground. Uh, that was another eye-opener for me because we'd heard in New Zealand growing up that the Wacker had these lights that you could see from space or from the moon. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, those were sort of the, the folklore stories in New Zealand for people that knew Perth. So yeah. we are in the uh, Lily Marsh stand there at the at the Wacker on the Monday speaking to Peter Mulholland and, and Bob Sheens. Uh, Bob Sheens is Tim Sheens' brother. He's pretty famous to the Canberra Raiders and yeah. well-known in the league world. And all of a sudden we got connected to Rugby League and the opportunity to trial for the Western Reds, which uh, was you know kind of what we had come over for too. That was definitely one of my goals because they'd gone into the into the ARL, the Australian Rugby League at that time. It's now called the NRL. Yeah, and and so all of those times when I go back to being a teenager and me wanting to grow and be a rugby league player, and and all of a sudden I was one step closer just through a simple conversation. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And uh, now you've been here in Western Australia for some time. Is this home? Do you think you'll go back to New Zealand? Uh, oh, look, home for me. I, I suppose, figuratively speaking, or, or, or you know, <coughs> symbolically, home is home for me. I, I'm a uh, for me, I, th- I believe you are who you are. I'm New Zealand born. I'm, I still identify myself as that. I've been here 24 years and don't have a passport. That might change. I'll become an Australian citizen. It's a bit of a badge of honour, especially with that rivalry. With you know yeah. something to say to the Australians, hey, I live here, but I don't have to. I don't have a passport. Yes. But we're allowed that because of the ANZAC agreement. But that'll probably change. Look, I've got my children here in in Perth, and I, I can't see myself going home in the foreseeable future, but I, I still love New Zealand. I've got loads and loads of family there, and I still identify with that strongly. Um, as much as I do with Australia, I've lived in Australia more than I have in New Zealand. Yeah. And, and they're both beautiful places. So uh, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows, man? You know, you don't know yeah. what's going to happen next. Indeed. Let alone uh, plans for the future of learning and life to live in the present and in the now. Superb. So... Obviously, um, men's mental health is a big key focus for you. Where has that come out in, in your story and where is, how's that become so important to you? Yeah, uh, for me, it comes through my own experience uh, of struggling in <clears throat> life and suffering depression and being suicidal. My marriage broke down 10 years ago. Uh, and probably look leading into that, I was, you know, sexual abuse growing up, physical abuse, just you know, drug drug taking and the experimentation with drugs and the effects that it has on you and it all compounded where I just didn't know the impact or the effect that those experiences had had on my life to shape the person that I was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I go into a marriage and then when you, uh, as a young man, I mean, we don't have any training to deal with sort of real life relationship issues and, and being able to communicate with, with females. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're a different sort of um, being to communicate with at times. So I just wasn't aware of that. And you know, all the turmoil of my relationship was really toxic. You know, it was shit, to be honest. 
yeah. um, at, at times. You know, it started off, you fall in love and all those sorts of things, but, it, it, you know, it was pretty toxic, the whole, whole overall thing. I got four beautiful children out of it, and there were times in that which were fantastic as well, but, um, I, I, you know, the, I think I was suffering from what they call mental illness even during that time through my mm. teenage years and just not really realising the impact. So when my marriage broke down, I, I caved in. Uh, mentally, it, it just smashed me. I was probably leading up to that a couple of other times. I had some, you know, relationship issues that had come up, and and those really affected me, impacted my well-being. Yeah. I mean, you just carry on through life. And when my marriage broke down, though, I, I mean, I became suicidal. There's a lot of depression and just the mental impact and the mind impact at that time on me to yeah. be able to deal with what was going on at that time. I just didn't have the structures. I, I didn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with anything yeah. at that time, and and it mentally it caved me in. Um, so when you say it caved you in, what what did that look and sort of feel like? Oh, despair. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to kill myself. Um, just helpless, <clears throat> sad, angry. You know, my mind was just all over the place. Ranging. I, oh, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop the thoughts, you know. The, when I was in that, in that pattern, my thoughts, I just couldn't turn the, the thoughts off, you know, was my wife having an affair, all of these things that come up, I'm away from my children, couldn't see my children, at that time I'd, when I'd broken up not long after I got a restraining order and never been in trouble before and I didn't realise how serious they looked at that, the police looked at that, I just thought, oh well hey this, I'll be all cool, um, stayed in contact, went through that, that experience in life where you go through the court system for breaching, you know, restraining orders and all that sort of stuff, right. so the impact of that and at the same time, I had major knee reconstruct, uh, major knee surgery. Um, I was paying my mortgage and and then having a renter place, keep myself alive and paying child support and the cars that I had breaking down, um, and just thinking, man, can anything go right in this life? And you know, just that you know, but being in that tor- turmoil, it's like tormented all the time, mm. and and I just didn't know where to turn or or how to do things properly but the biggest thing's despair um just you know that the impact of despair is um it's sad you know for anybody that feels despair you just feel absolutely lost isolated um you know my soul felt destroyed i just wondered what what did i do to deserve this uh, of all the people um you know that and that becomes part of your story and and then you know, just the the mind's on repeat all the time and just, just I couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop it. I've had a previous guest um, who suffered from postnatal depression and she just said it was like being stuck in a prison inside her own head. Yeah, and, and you're living sort of two lives. You know, you've got this outer exterior that when you see people, yeah, hey, everything's cool. For the very few people that I really loved and trusted, I'd, they'd see me in my rawness and... Mm. see how much I was struggling but for, for the rest of the world it was you wouldn't know because I'm one of those guys that you, you I'm the guy that smiles and and then wake up and I've committed suicide and somebody says we we didn't pick it mm. so that that's you know was my personality and my makeup and all that sort of stuff is a protection mechanism for me um, but yeah it was was really really tough at that time um, but you know inside of that there were things where I had to learn I was only talking to a friend about this last night actually or early this morning but um, you know I had to learn things of self-control I was a young man and there was a lot of anger to the things that had gone on inside my relationship and I didn't know how to deal with them and some of it was 
you know, if I'm responsible, which I am today, there were things where my behaviour wasn't appropriate and, and um, wasn't justified in any way, but there are other parts in that where I, I believe that anybody in a relationship would be angry. And so I just didn't know how to cope with that. You know, so my coping mechanisms at that time um, initially were, you know, no alcohol and, and on a bit, bit of a straight, straight narrow line. Um, I was going to church at that time mm. and, you know, kind of, you know, when you're in that sort of fashion of going to church and, and praying to God, you think that he's going to solve everything, um, figuratively speaking, yeah. and, and it didn't happen. Yeah. So here I am with a mindset at that time, which I think mixed me up even more as <clears> I'm, <throat> I'm praying to you, I'm doing what you've asked and, and yet this thing's caving in all around me. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, my children were used as weapons, I suppose, at that time where I wasn't able to see them. Um, when it suited their, you know, their mum, and then when it did, I'd be able to, you know, see them. I'd, they'd be brought around to see me, and then it was no, you're not seeing them, and you mm. know, they'd ring up crying, uh, wanting to be with you because there was a lot of turmoil for my children. They just wanted their mum and dad back together. Yes, uh, and that wasn't happening. So it was um, heartbreaking to see my children go through that. Um, you know, yeah, and to see the effect of things that were put in place. I mean, I went to court, had to go to court three times to get three restraining orders down. And, and I had that experience of going through the court system where um, I didn't feel supported, um, especially at the back end when, you know, like, uh, there was no, uh, even though I'd breached those restraining orders and that they weren't, you know, for physical abuse or, or you know, any threats of any nature, so I didn't go inside. I was, I was pretty lucky, actually. I, I mean, I remember one experience of being, I'll call it set up, going to the court and, and having an uh, interview and, and saying to the judge, look, I've got all this evidence to say that the, the restraining order's been breached on the other end. Um, give me a break. Uh, so, you know, we'd had a court date set and out of the court, my ex-wife went to the police station and reported me for some breaches that I'd had on there, which I'd said to the judge, hey, look, I, I do have breaches here. Um, and he said, look, we'll, we'll deal with those in the future. But I, I had a, I had literally uh, evidence of 500 contacts from her to me. And I know that's a yeah. tough subject because of the, the fact that restraining orders, when they're in place, I've got no issues. Um, but, you know, I, for when things are happening, when they're, when they're not happening or it's yeah. not lining up as accurately as, as what's being said, it can be really, really tough on a man. Um, but at the same time, like I say, there, was, there were parts of my behaviour that weren't, um, that I can't justify at all, and I won't. Um, so it was still a learning. That's what I mean. It was a learning process in that about self-control through that whole journey. Uh, but I was able to get those taken, you know, get that taken down. But inside of that, getting going for a visit to the lockup, and you know, when I was trying to sell my house at that time, and um, paying people to, you know, to paint my house, and then them not being allowed in the house after I'd paid them, and then it's you know, the agreements to. You know, go and pay. A, uh, I've got to paint this house to get it on the market to, to be able to sell it because yeah. it was clear we were going to sell the house, yeah. even though I wanted to keep it. And you know, so I go to the house and paint the house myself on me push bike because my cars are broken down. And then while I'm there at the house, the cops get rang and you get arrested, and then you go and spend the night in lockup and all those sorts of things. So you know, the impact on me was was massive at that time. Definitely a learning experience, but the the pressure on my mind was immense. Um, you know, and that despair and that, you know, um, depression. And then, I mean, moving out of that phase and then I realised I had to re-establish myself and I got a job in the in the mining industry 
doing FIFO and then I ended up meeting a beautiful girl up there and we had a relationship for three and a half years but I hadn't dealt with the things and the stories that were impacting me so again I was a human being yeah yeah to probably nowhere near to the extent because she was a different type of person to the person that I was married to so there wasn't all that pressure and that drama and stuff that came with my marriage and that um, but unfortunately for her, you know, there were impacts of me not being able to interrupt the story that I had about myself. And I'd look at her and think, well, you, you know, you, what are you doing with me? I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, um, maybe might be, yeah, mid to late thirties. I got four children. I had, a, I had a massive gambling problem, drinking drugs, and I was trying to keep it under wraps. And you, I mean, when we're in a relationship, we have two feet and you always put your best foot forward first. Yeah. And and many people put the other foot forward later on. It's not often that we put both forward or that we put the worst foot forward first because the the impression is you can't you don't get a second opportunity yeah, to make absolutely. a first impression. I like that analogy. Yeah, and that's what we do in life is that we put the best foot forward first. And so many times you meet somebody in a relationship, hey, she's fantastic, he's amazing, and then we get a bit into it, and all of a sudden, how's so and so? Well, he's it didn't work out or whatever it may be. So those are the things that I held on to that I just didn't want to show her and I just didn't know how to articulate or communicate. But unfortunately, you know, it was causing that cycle inside of me to, to continue to go round and around and had an impact on our relationship. And then, I mean, we've been broken up now for three years, but it, it was one of those things for me that I, I had regret around it, around the relationship, um, finishing because of the actions that I took at that time. And it was just hard for her to, to sustain that. And I, you know, it's um, something that I see today on my journey with men's mind health is that there's so many women that are impacted by our, by men's inability to be able to communicate and to express ourselves. So I'm quite passionate about that and, and very direct with men um, because of the fact that I've walked that walk and seen the impact. I, I see the despair and, and the loss of, you know, and, and that would have been there for my ex-wife as well, And you know, in fairness to what I'm saying, um, because of the fact that they observed their men just struggling and... and can see a greater and a better them, but unfortunately we don't see it inside of that. So that's why I'm so passionate. I'm quite direct on the impact that that has on on our women and on families, and you know, I suppose even same sex marriages with with gay men and the the impact that it would have on their relationships. Period. When we don't express ourselves, so yeah. when just before I broke up for my ex girlfriend, it was you know I got depression again, but it was a was a different type of depression. It kind of I didn't know, I, you know, I remember thinking there's something wrong, wrong with me, like I, something in my mind just didn't feel right, and I'd be crying and just cry at the drop of the hat, and just felt despair and lost and, um, you know, rejection, and it was really, really a different experience, and I remember saying to my girlfriend at the time, look, there's, there's something wrong with me, and I don't know, like I, I, I just don't know there's something wrong with my head, and I don't know what it is. And I remember her saying, hey, it's all in your head, don't worry about it. And it was a bit ironic because many years earlier when my ex-wife had had my, uh, I think it was my third, our third child would have been our daughter, Ella. I remember it was a Friday night, we were sitting eating fish and chips, as you do when you're a Kiwi on a Friday night. But, yeah. um, and I remember <clears> her being in, in the lounge on, on the floor where we were eating, watching TV, and she said to me, there's, there's something wrong with me there's something wrong with my head there's you know and I remember her kind of being a very anxious and I remember saying hey it's all in your head don't worry about it now, I didn't know about mental health I didn't even know you know only mental people have mental health 
Yeah. You know, only not only us. different people, not 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 us. We're yeah. not we're not mental. No, we're yeah. normal. Um, and and not even understanding the meaning of that, or even realizing what that what I meant through my words at that time. And then here I am, kind of sort of ten years later or whatever down the track, and, and having the same conversation with my girlfriend and her saying the same thing to me. Hey, it's all in your head, and and it wasn't. You know, I was like, there's something wrong. Like I I just didn't I yeah couldn't my couldn't put my hand on it. And then I you know went on antidepressants at that time to try and quell the, the mind because it was all up and down. Um, so I learnt the the journey of being on antidepressants and the impact and effect that that has on you. Yeah. So uh, that's what a lot of my, you know, to answer your <laughs> question, I, I answered some questions in a long no, roundabout no. way, but I like to give the background on things. Um, that's how I arrived where I'm at, you know, and seeing the mm. impact over that time of my actions. Um, so what turned it around for you? Oh, I did... For me, I wanted to turn it around for a long time. Inside of all that time and that story, I wanted to be a different human being and a different way of being, but I just didn't know how to be. I'd done the Landmark Forum about two years ago. It was coming up two years, May May 2016. I went in and done the Landmark Forum. My mum had spoken about it, and my brother had done it and seen some uh, massive actions that he took place, that he, that he took inside of his forum. And so I went and done it, and it just absolutely changed my whole mindset at the way that I saw myself and the way that I saw life and you know for me that was really the turning point in my life was was doing that self-development program and then realizing well I've, I've still got time I still got the belief I'm still the same human being that I am and I can actually do what I dreamed about doing maybe not being a rugby league player anymore because I was a lot older um, but uh, what I really saw out of it was my passion. Even though I wanted to be a rugby league player and I was passionate about those things, a lot of it I'd done for self-gratification in the sense that, you know, I'd play to please people, you know, the adulation of, well, you scored tries or you were a great player and all those sorts of things, but it still didn't fill the void underneath it because I, I still thought I was a crap player. You know, my, my story to myself, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, yet there was, I'm not the world's best rugby league player ever, but there had been plenty of people that would have been mm. m- more than happy with the skill that I was able to display as a sports person. But I thought that that's what I wanted to be. But coming out of it, my passion got ignited about men and the way that we are. And wow, the fact that I can turn my life around, uh, I can have a positive impact. And um, no matter what, you know, and I kind of seen a new way of seeing life. And from that moment, I thought, I'm. I'm going to recreate myself. I'm going to be a different man. And I mean, it's been a b- big journey since then. You don't just do a course and, mm. hey, the world flips around and everything's I've, good. I've had a number of guests who've been interacted with Landmark and, and done Landmark forums. I think if I think about it now, it's probably about five or six guests. Um, what, what sort of things go on in that during that time? Oh, I think the biggest thing, Brennan, is that <clears> they just teach you that, you know, everything that we've experience in life we attach meaning to it and we attach a story to it um and and that's the biggest impact and and based upon our experiences we almost build like a survival facade in some ways or a survival way of being and and that we end up talking you know the person that i'm talking to say for yourself for example there's a whole lot of your experiences in life that has arrived to the person that you are right now without being too weird but that's what we like so in certain situations we'll react certain ways 
based upon an experience from the past. So a lot of the way that we construct ourselves as people is based upon our past experiences. Yeah. So I'll be defensive with people, you know, as an example, because of the fact that I've been hurt in the past. I've let people there and they've, they've hurt me, so I'll be very defensive or withdrawn or um, a certain way of being. And they just teach you, you know, that there's, that's how you construct something takes place in our life and then we add meaning to it. And then they tell you, show you how to break it. That's literally really just changing the mindset. I learned about imaginary threats. I learned inside there that I had anxiety uh, and I never knew. Again, you know, when I go back to my mm. earlier point, our mental people have mental issues, not me. I, you know, people with anxiety have anxiety, not me. I was just nervous. Yeah. You know, but I, I came to learn that it was anxiety. It wasn't being nervous. And, yeah. and it come from my physical abuse as a child, which all come up inside of that forum. So it was very confronting, but great. You know, it had, had me take action. So I, I learned things about myself inside of there that I'd attached stories to that when there was a verbal um, escalation, I would say, that I would really. Uh, I'd get so nervous and, and my hands Trigger would start shaking. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was causing, especially in my job and that, in, you know, the industrial workplace relations, you're de- dealing with workplace conflict and I'd start shaking, I couldn't write and, and I'd always wonder, what's going on? Um, and then I came to learn that it was a trigger um, that I'd had a ma- what they call an imaginary threat that I was going to be harmed physically. What it was was when I, when I was a child, Mm. Um, the verbal escalation was mum and dad talking. You know, mum, dad would walk in the house a lot of the times, and then mum straight away, you know, that boy, that boy, that boy, and there'd be verbal dialogue going on between them. And then what would often happen was hey, I'd get a hiding after that. Um, so it was, you know, it was my body reacting unbeknowingly to me that actually there's a threat when there's a yeah. verbal altercation that's going to take place and, and the yeah. threat to me is I'm going to be physically high. harmed. Yeah. yeah, and so that was that period of time, you know, when there's a verbal um, escalation that I had an imaginary threat that I was going to be physically harmed, but, hey, we're in a setting where nobody was going to be harmed, so they told me and taught me, hey, it's, you, you're actually imagining it. It doesn't exist anymore. And so I was like, wow, I didn't realise the impact of that. Um, and I remember getting up just before I realised that, actually, and saying to them, I've got this thing that comes up for me, explained exactly what I explained to you. And the other component was that um, verbally, with a verbal escalation, I get really, really nervous. But with a physical um, confrontation, hey, if we have to have a fight, we have to have a fight. And I've got no dramas with that. Not, and the thing that I shared was I don't like violence. But if that has to happen, that has to happen. And I suppose to me it was connected to that time that, you know, the verbal confrontation would take place and it didn't matter what, that at some stage it was going to be physical anyway. So I kind of resigned to the fact you, I would just know the cycle. You know, you just get ready for it. And I hear a lot of, I've mm. heard a lot of ladies, you know, when they refer to domestic violence, that the, the cycle that goes about and they just become, um, you know, um, I suppose immune to it. You just know what's coming. Here's the pattern. The verbal's going to go. The physical's, you know, the physical aspect of it's going to come next. So you just kind of, it's all a part of it. And mm. you know? so for me, it was if that physical part's going to take place, hey, it's going to happen anyway. So I'm all cool with that. Um, mm. Not that I was cool with it, but yeah, you know, it's I... in the sense it was all part of the pattern. So those were things that I learned inside of that. But coming on the outside of that is that you could recreate. You know, to answer the question about landmark is that you could recreate yourself and. You didn't have to identify yourself as your past 
or as your experiences and you could actually create a new way of being. So that's what I set out doing and that, that was the biggest impact on me. Superb. Yeah. So let's go to the Anzac Day Hacker for Life. And before we dive into that, um, so I've seen the Hacker before. Obviously, I'm a rugby I'm a rugby fan, so I often see the All Blacks lining up and, and giving it and what have you. Just for anybody out there that <clears throat> has seen it but doesn't quite understand it, what exactly does the Hacker represent? Oh, the haka, well, initially it used to be a war dance against, you know, a declaration of war against another opponent or another tribe. And over the years, though, it's really developed uh, into a form of communication where it's not only about a challenge against other nations. I mean, we're challenging the English uh, many times as the All Blacks, uh, uh, from the All Blacks point of view, because they've probably been the biggest exponent of, of the haka worldwide and, and their success. I believe as a sporting team has had a lot to do with how, you know, the world perceives haka and, and sees mm. haka. And then obviously here, if you're a Wallaby supporter, you've seen it plenty of times here, which they've loved. And then the rivalry with rugby league as well was a, yep. another part of it, which was strong. <clears throat> um, but, you know, today it's an expression of love or an expression of communication that can mean whatever you want it to mean. Um, well, that's how I view it. You know, for me, I can perform a haka for you because mm. I love you and that I want to express my absolute fullness of my feelings towards you you know it's the i believe it to be the most powerful form of communication such when a, when a person comes to expressing themselves fully um, it can mean a challenge to another opponent um, it can mean respect we perform it out of respect to somebody um, it can be an announcement that you're in our territory you know there's so many aspects to haka yeah but, i mean the most you know powerful thing for me is it's a full expression of, of one you know, of a person, of a human being and the way that they feel, however they feel at that time. And mm. obviously when you, you know, um, come together as a collective, it, it has a lot more energy and then a lot more power and then the numbers that grow and grow and grow and grow, obviously that impact um, is much more intense, much more effective, I suppose, yeah. especially if collective you're present. Collective energy comes together. Oh, collective energy, yeah. <clears throat> That's what I mean. It's It's... It's so, so powerful. Um, but it comes, you know, from the words. Uh, a lot of people think that it's the actions of a haka. They'll see the actions and think, wow, it's the actions. That... Yeah, slapping forearms and <coughs> yeah. thighs. And... But it actually comes, the power of a haka comes from the words. And it's so important that a haka will never be as powerful as it can be if you first don't know the words. And it's, it's fantastic in, in human communication in any ways that the power for people in a lot of ways comes from our words. You be your word, you are your word as an action. You know, that's what causes movement and a shift in mindset and a way of being, causes an impact in this world, um, you know, in that sense. So it's, um, even though it's, there's that physical side where they see all the expression yeah. physically, uh, that the actual power of a haka comes from th that group of people or that person being connected to those words, knowing those words, believing those words, and then delivering do the those words. Do the words change? Or they yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because the haka that we've got this year, I mean, you'll know traditionally a lot of the people in the world know the haka kamate kamate, which yeah. was you know about a tribal chief that was being chased from another tribe and was going to um, you know, be killed, and he hid in a, in a food pit underneath a lady's skirt and and uh, you know, so that they couldn't detect him, and then he come out. Um, at, in those days, you couldn't look under a lady's skirt; it was, you know, tapu or sacred, so it was, I suppose, not appropriate. 
Yeah. Um, highly inappropriate for you to just go and lift up a girl's skirt, which, hey, that doesn't change today either. But he, he came out of, uh, the chief came out of that, that uh, from underneath that lady and then exclaimed the words, kamate, kamate, you know, like, kaoraka, uh, I thought I was going to die. Tis death, tis death, tis life, tis life. Um, you know, the hairy man calls the sun to shine upon me again, one step upward, again and again. Um, figure, you know, paraphrasing there essentially. But the haka that we've got this year, um, I've written directly as a men's mind health and suicide awareness haka. So there is a story in the haka. Um, the first part of it relates to Anzac Day and the Anzacs. Yeah. So it talks about us being called from the great, from the for the great war of the world. Yeah, which was World War One, and from the four winds. So there's all different stories that each haka actually has and different meanings. It's not just the same one, because a lot of people think it's just the same one. They might notice a little bit of a change, but they think, oh, we thought it all meant the same thing. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, it, it all means different things. Like any song or any sort of music, you know, they're all different sorts of stories. So that's that's what it's like for the haka as well. Superb. So where did the idea for a haka on Anzac Day come from? And and then, like I said in the introduction, it was literally like, from what I understand, idea, chuck it out on Facebook, 200 people. Yeah, well, I, when my marriage had broken down, so my marriage had broken down, mm. kind of, I think it's 10 years ago now, and mm. at that time I was staying in a house, a refuge house in, in Jandicott, uh, at a suburb in Perth, and I went to my first Anzac Day service up at Kings Park at that time and I remember being up there and it was so emotional um, the energy and the atmosphere is just incredible I love the Anzac Day services at Kings Park and I remember being up there and um, you know thinking back to my great-grandfather who was in World War One um, and my uh, my uncle not that I knew him but that's my dad's namesake he's Uncle William he's buried in a warm war cemetery in in Belgium and you know just the pride that I felt at that time, and I thought, wow, I'd want to do a haka. And I remember, you know, picturing um, myself doing a haka with loads and loads of people up there at that time. And I thought, one day I'd love to do a haka up here. It'd be great with the service, um, just to add to the emotion. You know, as, as a Māori, as a New Zealander, it gives me a chance to fully express and demonstrate how how I feel and, and you know, how overwhelmed I am and grateful for that to take place. And then I went to Barrow Island, and worked there FIFO for five years and I remember being at an Anzac Day service and they didn't mention the New Zealanders at all yeah. in a service and we're, I was a bit pissed off to be honest and so too were the other Kiwis that were there and then the following year they'd done it again. Yeah, because there was an NZ in Anzac. Oh yes, just a couple of people, they just forgot slightly, just a small overview. Um, and then the following year they'd done a service and they sang the Australian National Anthem and didn't do the New Zealand National Anthem. And again there was a bit of an uproar up there and as the project grew up there, more and more Kiwis came and they complained and I remember one of the ladies from the, the, the client that looked after the project said we got a few complaints she said actually I'll, I'll rephrase it we got some hate mail <laughs> people were really pissed off about Dark. the fact that we were you know um, included in there so we then said look we'll, we'll can we perform a haka you know at that time we just felt like we wanted to do the haka so we got a group of us together um, formed a group to do the haka and we were able to um, sing the national anthem for New Zealand there at the same time and so we sang the anthem and done the haka and it was just a hit kind of straight away up there, the emotion and people, you know, the outpouring of kind of, as I'm explaining, getting emotional and could go back to that time and it was just so intimate and people loved it. And then we did it the next year and then the next year before I um, left and it just, 
you know, people looked forward to it. It was a significant part of the Anzac Day service, which mm. was a great fit. Uh, and I suppose up until that time, people hadn't realised it, but there were many people that came up and said, well, this is amazing. So when I come back down to Perth, uh, I was, last year, was doing a self-development course, another one of the landmark courses, and it, and it was to create a community project that has a positive impact on the community. Uh, and at my that time, I'd you know, chosen that I wanted to be a, a speaker for men's mind health and and raise awareness for suicide and you know that just that stigma around silence they had the stigma of silence that kills men and my mind's very creative and then at that time I thought well when you perform a haka silence doesn't exist and you know there was that that talk that men don't communicate themselves effectively or or powerfully and I mean when you perform a haka it's powerful full body like it's full body man and it's everything that you've got and it changes the atmosphere so I, you know, my mind thought, well, we can do a haka to attach to breaking the stigma and I can bring all men together, not just Māori men, but all men. You know, I can open it up. This is an opportunity for us to have this included in the Anzac Day service. You know, and Anzac Day, and I thought, what day could I choose to raise awareness? Um, I thought Anzac Day, you know, we can honour them. Like going back to the times when we did it on Barrow to honour the Anzacs and that, that dream that I had 10 years ago, sort of or eight or nine years earlier, you know, when my marriage broke down and I saw that vision in my mind at King's Park, um, I'm going to do this. And I think it's a powerful way to demonstrate to men that this is this is what it looks like when men show up in a positive frame of mind with a positive intention to fully express themselves with communication. And it was to demonstrate to men this is the impact that you can have in a positive way to change any space. And, and especially regardless of your past. I mean, I'm sharing... My story with you and the way that I shared because I don't hide from it I'd be responsible for it but at the same time it's showing men that hey I didn't I wasn't perfect in any way yeah I, I think that you know a lot in society today with people that um, you know the world looks up to they've almost got to tick boxes and it's about trying to hiding things that you don't want people to know um, I'm done with that shit you know I want to be authentic and be real and show men something to attain I mean I'm up for being pulled up on whatever my past is and and saying hey yeah I, I did yeah. choose those actions but I'm not committed to being that man and and I refuse to be that man that is judged from his past and then related to in that way and and never stands up and speaks and and there's so many great men that are that way in society today that just don't speak at all and and they've been stifled because of the fact they're related to as their past as an abuser as an alcoholic as a druggie as a gambler as whatever yeah um so i was demonstrating to those men that hey no matter your past this is what you can do and this is what you can achieve and i put a video out very nervously up at king's park one day with my uncle and my sister on an iphone and and to be honest all my stuff i do is still on an iphone yeah and it's a demonstration that you can create something just by simple measures and i remember been up there underneath the war memorial and people are walking around me and I was very nervous and my you, know, you start over and over again blah blah how do I get this right and I'd never done all that sort of stuff before and well not on a camera for for something you know deliberate to yeah. what I was about to do just unusual territory and my uncle said hey just come on just be yourself I said, hey it's easy for you to say you're sitting on that side of the camera <laughs> you come around here uh, but I put it out very nervously, I only looked at that video the other day and thought, wow, it's a year ago that I look back at that and a simple video, I didn't know the impact that it was going to have and all of a sudden, I mean, that ended up getting sort of thousands of views and people jumping on board and again, I chose the haka kamate kamate because it was a universal haka, a lot of people knew it in the time frame, like I say, with my creative mind 
Um, I knew that there'd be people there. Um, it ties in well with that day. It gives me a platform and a, an opportunity to express myself. Um, thankfully, the RSL was so receptive to it. It would have been a different story if they had not been as receptive as they were. Mm. And they were just so open to it, which really, really made it work and, and made it happen in a positive way. And there were some steps to take inside of that. Um, it started to get momentum and you had to give... Um, you know messages out there on Facebook so I started to increase and realizing you know these things don't happen by themselves I was lucky on that program that I was on um, that I was doing at the time at South Development was about it showed you a way to create projects like that mm. and the importance of putting the structure together so it was a perfect <clears throat> opportunity for me to learn it and then we had a practice just before Anzac Day a couple of days before and we um, you know at that time too I remember um, you know, how do you advertise this? How do I get this message out? And I had written um, many years earlier for the Western Suburbs Weekly, which when I wrote for them, they were the number one um, community newspaper in Australia that looks after all the Western Suburbs, Dalkeith and Kings Park area, Cottesloe yeah. sort of deal. And I thought, gee, I'm going to go back there because they were always looking for stories. And I, and I just rang them and said, look, I'm performing this hucker on Anzac Day. And there was a reporter, John Bassett, at that time, he... Got, I got put through to him and he said, well, I couldn't believe it. I'm actually looking for an Anzac Day, huck- oh, Anzac Day story to fill in before Anzac Day. So what are you doing? I said, I'm doing this hucker to raise awareness of men's suicide. And he said, oh, fantastic. Um, we'll run with it. Um, I went up to Kings Park and had some photos. And then thankfully, um, they put it on the front page of the Western Suburbs Weekly that week. And I mean, that's a great newspaper. You yeah. wouldn't think it's a community newspaper in the sense that it's so colourful, so well put together. Um, still a fantastic newspaper today. And, I mean, once that went on the front page, then all of a sudden, you know, the West Australians calling ABC, Channel 7, and it kind of started to snowball. And then people in New Zealand wanted to have interviews because of this concept of, hey, we're doing a hucker to raise awareness of men's suicide, which is huge. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and it just snowballed. And then on Anzac Day, um, that was a challenge in itself too. You know, so nervous. I mean, for me, inside of that was... I caught everybody up for a hucker, and I realised, shit, I've actually got to perform this in oh, front of people. So, yeah, and I suppose just before that too, I'd done a, an, an instructional video because it was all parts of breaking it down. How can I have these people that want to be a part of it actually connect to it powerfully? And, and know what to do on the day. And know what to do. So I'd done an instructional video as well and broke the hucker down, and, and that's on our Facebook page and all that sort of stuff. So that was nerve-wracking. So... You know, when you go back to that decision that I'd made about recreating myself as a man, well, you know, it's one thing to say things, it's another thing to action it. Yeah. And for many years I was good at talking, but I wasn't good at actioning. Now it was, you know, for me to be who I wanted to be, I had to marry the two together. Mm. So you become your word as an action or inaction. And so there was that that had gone up until that point of Anzac Day, and then Anzac Day came and we'd been given a particular time to perform. And... The time that, that we had been given, what we realised very, very quickly was that there was going to be nobody there because when the Anzac Day service finishes up at Kings Park, they just hit the, hit the road and they just, you know, yeah. flood out of there very similar to the way when the Eagles or the Dockers lose here at the stadium yeah. and they flood out very quickly. You know, yeah. they, they hang around when their team wins, but, yeah. um, you know, that, that happened and I had a group of friends there, which was amazing. I mean, they're still very close to me today. I honour my word with them and their commitment to me and one of them I'd only met earlier on his 10 speed. He rang me up, hey, bro, I'm going to come up there and yeah. be a part of it with you. Cool. He said, oh, have a look out for me. I'll, I'll be up there on my bike and literally he rocks up in his 10 speed with a tyre, a mighty weapon on the back and, 
the time, met my great friend Jamie Schuster and, and a couple of other friends, Joe Beasley and another friend Arlene that were there. And when we saw people leaving, we said, hey, we've got to make a decision. And they said, let's do it. We're going to do it now. Um, and it's very nerve-wracking when you've got structures in place from the King's Park and the RSL. You think, wow, we can't go against them. But we made that decision. Yeah. It was all out of love. And um, they done a bit of a Māori war dance amongst the people. And that obviously grabbed people's attention. It stopped them. And then, you know, I spoke to the crowd. All of a sudden, there's thousands of people around us kind of aware that, wow, there's going to be a haka that's going to take place. And I addressed them and told them where they're standing for about men's mind health and suicide awareness and men and honouring the Anzacs. And... Um, we performed the haka and just the energy and the power there. I mean, it, it was, I suppose I could say a bit of marketing genius and the fact that people that were there came out of the crowd that weren't expecting it. You know, when you kind of know that haka as a New Zealander or as anybody, to be honest, yep. that's what I want people to adopt is you can perform it with them. Yeah. And so people jumped out of the crowd and, and performed it. Yeah, so we ended up with over 200. I caught out 500, but we ended up with over 200. And... We performed the haka there, and then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, we had the TV cameras there, which was part of what I'd learnt through doing my media stuff and years ago commentating on, on the radio, commentating rugby and writing um, for the Western Suburbs Weekly and, and whatnot. You realise the power um, of the platform that media, you know, the media platform has. And yeah. So I had them there, and all of a sudden uh, the video just started going viral. I remember getting a call from a friend and she said, hey, you've had 30,000 views. And, oh, wow. And then, hey, you've had 300,000 views. Like, oh, gee, this is, never experienced this before. And then, hey, you've had a million views. And, two, and I thought, gee, the, the machine must be broken or something yeah. like that. You know, like, <laughs> you know, what's, what's going on here? And then it just took off. And this, they say, you know, the rest is history. As they say, got on the Lad Bible and kind of had six million views on Lad Bible or six and a half million views and some, you know, other platforms that started contacting us for the content. And um, then the journey, you know, just continued. Not long after that, I got a, a nominated for a, an award at the Men in Black Ball here in Perth. It's a, an award to raise up that honours a man that raises awareness of men's mental health and suicide awareness. And I I was grateful that I received that award last year as, as the most inspiring male for 2017. Wow. And it kind of opened me and exposed me to a, a, a celebrity sort of, not circuit, but a, a different market that I'd never really been a part of. I'd heard about these balls, but only rich people went to those sorts of things. And um, all of a sudden I'm in there being honoured for my contribution to raising awareness and creating the biggest conversation for men's mind health and suicide awareness and you know, that, that created more and more opportunities and I suppose when it lined up with the man that I wanted to create myself to be, it, it was another, I suppose, affirmation in a way that I'm on the right path and and I can, you know, I've just continued and continued and continued to grow the person I am. And is that how you went from there to now creating Hacker for Life as a non-for-profit charity? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I actually caught it initially when men speak because so, I wanted to show men... Hey, when men speak, this is what gets caused, breaking that stigma of silence. Yeah. And so I'd named it the Anzac Day Hucker for Life. Um, and that came out of a conversation with a friend who had buried his nephew who had taken his life. And he said, I gave him a hucker at his, as his funeral. And I said, I don't want a hucker for anybody when they're dead. You know, I want a hucker when they're alive. I'm yeah. A hucker for life. And so mm. I called it the Anzac Day Hucker for Life. Um, you know, it's a demonstration of life, not death. And um, But out of that, you know, everyone said, oh, the haka for life, the haka for life. And they didn't really know it as when men speak. So 
immediately. It was like, mm. hey, we're going to drop that, um, drop that term when men speak and call it haka for life. Mm. And so that's how that got born. And then, uh, yeah, kind of immediately it was like, hey, this could really have the potential to grow immensely. So we registered it as Haka for Life Inc. Um, and then, yeah, trademarked it and continued on it. I continued my journey of, you know, my talk and the way that men communicate. And, and that's how we've arrived. And it's continued to grow to not-for-profit organisation. Mm. I've got uh, a couple of directors on board now that have recently come on and, you know, really want to support us in, in growing it and getting the message out there to the world. And so it's just, yeah, just continued and continued to evolve and, and to grow it and expand. So what sort of things will Hack for Life as the charity start to focus on? Um, events, like, you know, obviously a big one at this time is the Anzac Day um, services. I, I, you know, my goal is to have Hucker and Corroboree um, right across Australia at every major Anzac Day service in the, in the country and in New Zealand as well. Mm. And obviously worldwide, we've got a lot of Australians and New Zealanders that live worldwide. I think it's a unique day. It's our most honourable day. It's our most sacred day for us two nations. And it's very, very unique in the relationship that we have. It's a big brother, little brother um, relationship. And we're brothers in arms. And I think it's a great demonstration of how countries can get on and the way that you can live um, with two different cultures coming together. Yeah. I think we're a great demonstration of that. Um, whether it be on a sports field or just in life in general and the way that we are with each other. So that's something that the world needs. So I want people to adopt that um, worldwide. I want to be able to go into, you know, to take it into schools because I think it's a great action, the, the action of the haka and corroboree. I mean, this is Australia. We're in Australia, so to honour the fantastic culture of the Aboriginal people here to marry the uh, the, the um Corroboree and the haka together, I think, would be a very effective in schools to have um, boys and, and girls to be able to um, action something, to not, a, not only be able to talk um, about how they feel, but also to, to uh, participate in something that is a powerful demonstration of human emotion and expression. And, you know, being an action is, is a thing that causes when people can move, you know, when you're in exercise, there's a recovery or a way of being, um, it's always good for your body. So it's a, it's a positive thing to take in the schools and, you know, just the whole, uh, the way that you construct it and put a haka together, it, it causes you to have to be vulnerable and scared and, you know, collectively come together as a group and communicate on a, on a big level. So there are all sorts of ways of being that we can train children in, uh, which I think is, is better to do when they're young as opposed to waiting till when I'm old, like I shared earlier, I just didn't know how to be or how mm. to conduct myself or how to express myself. So inside of these, they can be taught and we can show them and demonstrate powerfully and lovingly and whatever intention that you want to do that we can have this in those schools. So that's, you know, that's something that I want to grow. I want to be able to talk into, you know, um, corporate areas and, and into um, sporting teams about the way that we demonstrate and, and communicate as men to, to express themselves and, mm. you know, to conduct um, sort of events for the Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is one next year. I've got my mind set on the Mardi Gras uh, of having us go and as Haka for Life to the Mardi Gras. I mean, this is about men, all men. So, you know, when you're trying to come out, I would imagine, hey, if you're trying to come out as a gay man in a, in a warrior culture, it's a tough thing to do. Yeah. You know, the stigma around, hey, uh, men aren't gay or, you know, any, uh, you know, gay men are, are a certain way of being is just bullshit. I'm a stand for all men no matter where we are. So I think it'll be a powerful demonstration when you've got heterosexual males supporting men that are gay. And that's what I'm prepared to do is go and stand with them and create a float in the Mardi Gras 
um, for those men to stand with um, heterosexual men and gay men as, as a form of expression to say that we're here for all men. Um, so that's, uh, uh, again, my mind is thinking ahead and it's something that I want to do because I think it has a, a follow-on impact and a follow-on example um, to, to male sport in general that, you know, this gladiator sports, whether it be gridiron or rugby, rugby league and, and Aussie rules in particular, even soccer um, and hey, baseball, all those other things. Um, if you're a gay man inside of those sorts of um, environments, it's a tough thing to come out. You know, because that's it, just it's a taboo sort of subject. But these men, I just want them to be able to just to be able to be, you yeah. know, for us to love them, and and we're all human beings, no matter what. Um, you know, so that's a big stand. I've got that as a focus. That's definitely something that I want to expand on. So we'll pick some key events. Um, you know, and, and and out and around that is that you get a lot of people that gather at those already. So the it's the awareness is or the the platforms already set. It's something yeah. that's unique. So so you you. I read in once, and you mentioned it earlier on, that silence is the biggest killer of men. Yeah. What is it that keeps us silent, do you think? Um, uh, from what you see, not just from your own story, which we've delved in already, but from what you've seen, you know, surveying the landscape and interacting with other men and stuff like that. I think it's the whole way that uh, humanity is constructed in the sense that we're, we're brought up from a young age, we're told what to do by our parents for obvious reasons. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're trying to guide us and communicate and we'll do things. No, 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 you can't do that or you can't do that. Or, yep, that's good to do. And, um, you know, there's a lot of communication where we're being spoken at or spoken to. Then you go to school and in the school sort of system, the teacher tells you what to do. You don't tell the teacher what to do, the teacher tells you what to do. And if you don't listen to what the teacher tells you, then the principal, it goes up another level. Yeah. The principal then tells you what to do and asserts their authority. But, you know, for good intentions as well. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but again, it's a it's a type and form of communication where we're being spoken at and there's no opportunity, real opportunity to be fully self-expressed. There's an opportunity for expression, but a lot of that expression of communication has to align with their set of rules or morals or what they're trying to yeah. construct in there. And, and if you so- get it wrong, you know about it because you get feedback real quick, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You slap yeah, and if you visit to the principal. Or- yeah, and the mindset is, oh, he doesn't fit in. If you don't conform, you don't fit in. If you don't fit in, you know, and you don't conform, then you're sat in an audio corner or you're, you're given detention. And so already, you know, as a human, these things have been constructed in the way that I must conform and not speak against anything. It's been done from a young age. And then we go to high school. Now, that's another level of it even more. And there, because of the fact that there's so many more children and there's so much more, uh, you know, the, the program and the curriculum is so much more constructed, it, it doesn't allow, and it probably allows for less expression. You, you, there's an expectation that you've been trained already from a primary level, primary school level, to be a certain way. And then there, bang, 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 we've got a, subjects to choose things to get done in a, in a certain amount of time. And again, if you don't conform, you're introduced to another level because you don't directly go normally to the principal unless you stuff up in a big way. Yeah. Um, but it'll go to the next person in the line and then you're starting mm. to learn the constructive mainstream you know, society. And then inside of that, you know, for me especially and for others that have played sport or been a part of, you know, uh, girls love dance and, and whatnot, so it's a, it's a boy and girl thing here. So if you're in sporting teams, again, it's communication where you've been spoken at or spoken to. You've been told what to do, you know, in, in the sport to get an outcome and you do it the way that the coach says that you'll do it. Yeah. You know, you'll behave the way that they say has to behave for us to get an outcome, which is winning on a Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday night, whatever night it is now. Um, 
you know, so when we have a look at it, there's all this sort of communication. If you want to develop yourself and go to TAFE or go to university, again, you sit in front of people that tell you what to do and how things should be. And again, you're limited and restricted in your communication. You've got a, a degree, a couple of degrees. I mean, you're, I've never been to university. In fact, yeah. I, I mean, I dropped out at year 10. So I'm uneducated in the world's, um, you know, look on thing and, and look, you know, the way the world looks, they say, hey, you're uneducated. Uh, not true, but, um, you know, when you go to university, I'm imagining that you sit there and they, they're lecturers and they, they tell you what to do and you take in the information. You take it in quite often the way that they want you to receive it. Yep. And then I suppose there's, in there, though, again, you, you're starting to get to the space and place where you, you're able to elaborate on it because it's a, you know, it's a forum for gathering knowledge for you then to go and be who you want to be in the world. Now, inside of that, Bryn, some people will always stay within the refines or construct of what they're being taught, that it can only be delivered or, or expressed in that certain way that they're taught. Others think outside the box. I'm one of those people, but, you know, go out and you apply it in your way in the world. And sometimes, again, people are told, ah, oh, that's, look, he's a left of field, he's a rogue, he's an activist, or she's an activist. They're this side, they don't fit the box. Yeah. You know, they're a renegade and, and all these sorts of things that are constructed in a way because you're different. Um, and so it causes people, you know, that are like that. I've got a psychologist friend who's one of the best psychologists in the world. And, you know, he expressed recently that he, he had a, um, you know, an inability to, f- to fully express himself because of the way that he'd been judged in the past and been ridiculed for some of his teachings. And when you see the, the content that he writes, he's incredible. And you wouldn't, like when he wrote it, and I read it, and I looked at him, and I thought, gee, is that like it's the same person? And the way that he's able to articulate himself, and that's what's been hidden because he's able to fully express himself in his writing, but in person... He wasn't being able to do that. So you see all these certain ways of being that the world is constructed in a way for us not to express ourselves. And so you're not taught. So that's why, I'm, that's why I believe, you know, we don't express ourselves openly. Girls do a lot because they like talking. Girls are, I think, wired and created yeah. that way um, or happen that way, whatever way you think that we arrived at. And, you know, they're very good at talking, um, which there is a merit. You know, we're seeing that there is, there is merit in, in talking and a positive impact in, in, in people being able to talk. Not that they talk exactly about what they are feeling because there's this connotation or this thinking that women are great communicators and, and they openly express themselves. But quite often, you know, I've observed on a number of times that what women communicate isn't actually what they're feeling. It, it's kind of a, an expression. You've got to yeah. take layers and layers to work them out. They'll tell you it's A. So as a man, we'll go and fix A. We'll go to point A and go, okay, this is yeah. it. And she goes... And fix being the word. <laughs> fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how we look at it. You know, it's because, okay. And, and I mean, and inside of that, when we fix, it comes from a place of love and care and nurturing. That's ours. You know, our partner or our mom or sister or work colleague, whatever they are, yeah. um, need something fixed. So that's, that's the way we are. We'll fix it for you. Then they go, well, it's not A. It's actually B. I thought you said it was A. No, no, I said it's B. And then you go to B, but it's actually C because there's layers and layers of it depending on how they feel as a protection mechanism that they'll really open themselves up and become vulnerable. Um, But inside of that, I think they gather the art of talking, you know, and openly expressing themselves. And if they're fully safe, they'll normally go straight to the point straight up. But, you know, quite often for us men, we don't, you know, have that ability to be able to talk with very um, surface-based, repetitive conversations that we have. Hey, how's the football? Because we yeah. don't get, we're just not taught to talk. Yeah. We've got how's all this oh, thing. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? Oh, good, man. Footy. Oh, you going to footy training this week? Or, 
how's work at you know it's good and you don't really complain much because you're not you know I think by that time you, you you're almost trained in the, into a way of being and not being able to express yourself that's why I'm so passionate about us getting these things in the schools you know from a young age we should be teaching our children um, you know to 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 um, converse to to open mm. up and and have dialogue obviously it's got to be um, constructive sort of communication they can't be just let rogue I think in some ways too teenagers I've got four teenagers and children in society these days are being given every excuse as to why they can be the way that they are Uh, and it's almost impossible for humans or for adults to be able to kind of interject in any way that stops them from this you know violent behavior from this disrespect from these things that have been you know I suppose a pillar of the way society is being when I've been growing up where you respected your elders, you didn't speak to people in certain ways and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So that's been lost at times inside of that too. But in saying that, there's some beautiful teenagers and children that were growing in this world. But And that's come about through their, you know, their ability to be uh, self-expressed. But in saying that, you know, sometimes we have to, um, you know, I like to create an environment where you can openly communicate and express and feel comfortable and have a conversation to say, hey, well, this is a, an effective way of being or this is an ineffective way of being for whatever it is. But, you know, still be able to give them that ability to train and express themselves. And that's that's why I think to answer your question, though, that's why we don't talk. Yeah. Is because of the way that the system's constructed. And the way we way. just get programmed and programmed and programmed along the way. Yeah, and, and, and unless you deliberately have or create a forum or an intention like us. I mean, our conversations around communicating, really, this is what we're doing here. We're, yeah. we're creating an environment where... We're having a proper conversation here. Well, it's a conversation. Somebody else might, might say that's not a proper conversation. Yeah, okay. yeah it's point of view. Well, but, as in, we're not just talking surface crap about, oh, how's the 14? Yeah, as yeah. you see the rugby, da-da-da, you watch the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, well, to answer that question, no, I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that's something. That, but yeah, I, I mean, but this is an intention and an agreement as, as two adult men and or two yeah. human beings that are saying, hey, we want to have this particular type of conversation. But this particular type of conversation and the depth of this conversation comes about because of the fact that we're um, around these conversations, that we've had these conversations. So again, it's easier for us to sit here and, and to be able to talk because we've done this, I, I love having these. This, this is yeah. what I, this is what I created in my life with these conversations. But when you don't create those, or you haven't had exposure to this sort of stuff, then guess what? I mean, we're going to be sitting here with a microphone and probably hear crickets in the background. Yeah. Because of the way you know that we're, um, because of the way that people aren't being shown how to express themselves. So, I, you know, I, I love these things, these podcasts that we create, and, and people like yourselves that create these platforms and be the way that you be and the way that I be. Because it's a demonstration to men that this is how you communicate. It's, you know, the function of it is actually quite easy. I mean, there's a lot of thought and story that goes on behind it that stops you as well. Will I sound good enough? Will I be good enough? And all those sorts of things. We stand up there and say, hey, chuck all that shit in the bin. Just be you. Talk. Let's have a conversation about anything. And the more and more we can replicate that, and the more and more we can create that, especially from a young age, um, you know, I really, really think that we're going to see a, a turn around in the, the way that men communicate in life and it will have a positive effect um, on society, you know, on our communities, on our families, on our, on our own men um, as a species as well because we're able to express ourselves. There's, there's absolute danger in, in a man not being able to express himself. You know, the, the statistics are there, the facts are there. Um, when, people, when men don't talk, it's, it's, it can be fatal, literally. Yes. 
So we've got to encourage men to have these. We've got to you know, be open. We'll like and share these sorts of podcasts, mm. not because I want to hear my voice on it, but because these are the things mm. that are going to change uh, the way that human beings communicate in the world. And creating space, safe spaces for men to do that in the first instance before they go out in the world and do yeah. it confidently. Yeah, yeah, and here's the great thing about your podcast and, and the way that you allow a space and, and the way that we have human beings like ourselves, when they share your story, this is the power of a person sharing their story, whether it be me, authentically and openly, where they're not worried about their past, uh, and it's not that they are not um, don't get the impact of it too, because I get the impact of my past that has had on certain people as well. But when you can demonstrate in a way that you're openly and fully authentic and talk about your past in a way that we don't let it be our prisoner or the man that I'm going to be and, and that we've all had experiences and we've all got a story in life, it demonstrates to men that, wow, that I can relate to that. Oh, that guy's been through that. I've been a gambler. I've been a liar. I've been a cheater. I've been a drinker. You know, I've been a druggie. I've been a dickhead. You know, I've been unfaithful, whatever it is. You know, when you've got more and more men like us or, you know, that, that stand up and say those sorts of things, then men relate to it. They feel a bit more comfortable. And that's a part of turning the whole mechanism of, of depression around to and anxiety is that I remember feeling vulnerable, you know, when I was talking about where I was at a state of mind earlier. And, you know, if I, if I felt vulnerable or I felt I was going to be judged in any way, I did not share anything about what was going on internally mm. unless I had somebody in front of me that I really, really, really trusted. But there, you know, when you're in that mindset, you trust even less people mm. because you're just so vulnerable and fragile. Um, you know, life is on its edge. So if we can show um, and create a space where people can be feel that they can openly and fully express themselves based upon the fact that other men are sharing and know that you be responsible. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, I was this and not be responsible for it as well. You've got to make the changes to make sure you're not you know, um, things aren't going reoccurring in the background. Um, that's part of it. It's one thing to stand up and say, how oh, I'm this, and then to continue it and put up a facade, do the work behind the scenes to change it. And if you can demonstrate that and, and show men that, hey, no matter what, you can be this way, then I really, really think that's going to have an impact on men in a positive way. Superb. Yeah. So how's preparation going for this year's? How's oh, that Hakkadai? Incredible, incredible. Oh, yeah, I've got the uh, Noongar Nation here in Perth. They're the Aboriginal people here in Perth. Um, and that's been, I've just been so blessed to, to be able to have the conversations that I've been able to have with them. And and that's, you know, I've got a friend of mine through Landmark as well. And, you know, there's aspects of that where they talk about people being their word and have integrity. So it was important for me to be able to communicate with somebody which I knew I could be in communication with. And so we got together a, a small group of uh, an Aboriginal elder, James Webb, and then a, another friend, Sam Kickett. Um, and we met at a, you know, at a cafe and had a conversation about what I wanted to create. And they kind of could see, you know, the value in it. Um, they shared about their past and the things that had gone on. So those were incredible conversations to sit there with them and then have them, you know, see that we've got to create things a new way. I want to create a new listening of the, of the Aboriginal, Indigenous people of Australia and the way that society sees them because quite often I've seen from my 24 years here that it's like a, a soapbox. Every time that they get up, the, you know, the mainstream media turn off or people, society yep. just turn off because uh, it's that mindset, here they go again. So to have them see the past, and I can relate to that because the history in New Zealand is very similar. 
in the way that the English come here and do this. This wouldn't have happened a couple of hundred years ago, eh? No. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, yeah, that's yeah. a demonstration of how far we come. But, hey, the past is the past and it is it what is. it is. I mean, um, you know, so I'm pulling the future towards me. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, I said to them, it's important for us not to live in the past because even, you know, on a human level, regardless of what the topic is, but a lot of depression comes from people living in the past. And that was the impact and the effect on me. And my depressive state was I had stories going around about the past, you know, about what had happened in my relationship in my life, and it just caused me to be a certain way. So I said to them, look, the, the past is the past there. I'm not saying that those things didn't happen, but I, I want people to see the greater part of your culture, of my culture. I believe that the love that we have as a culture and cultures together is greater than our hurt and greater than our pain. Mm. And I believe that will have a, a more profound effect on society and humanity. So they agreed that, hey, this is a good idea and a concept, and I've continued those discussions and we've connected with different groups and different people to bring it all together, to have some strong and tough conversations um, that I'm up for, for having, because I'm a stand that they be seen in a different way, that this whole idea of bringing the hucker and the crobbery together with the uniqueness of Anzac Day in Australia and New Zealand, who have two incredible indigenous cultures and the way that we can express our gratitude is just a perfect fit and people will see that once it's demonstrated in that way and and i'm clear that it's a platform it's not a political platform at all it's not a religious platform at all it's just a platform for us to be able to express our gratitude and our honor to the anzacs and as men to say hey we're in this fight and that there are powerful men in our countries that can make a stand for the world literally so they've come together and and the so what we've learnt from the two cultures and the conversations have been amazing and to hear and you know to reconstruct their thinking and, and their vision that, and, and see them grasp it and acknowledge and let go of some things from the past and go wow you know this could change our lives this could change our society this could change our nation has been amazing so we've brought it all together to where we've gone from word to action and we've brought it now where we've got the corroboree and, and the whole structure of the corroboree and the haka together and we're less than two weeks away from it. Um, we've, we've had the creative openness. You know, I create a space for them all to be able to communicate openly about what they're feeling or what they're thinking. And inside of this, not only about, you know, creating a hucker and a corroboree, it's about creating a way of being as a human being. Inside of all this too, I'm training them, saying this is, you create a forum where we can fully express themselves. Why? Because the stigma of silence kills us. When a person feels that they can't fully express themselves, they'll die. That's a fact, or they have the potential to die, to take their own lives. So I'm creating a, a forum and an atmosphere, no matter where or who you are, that you can fully express yourself. It goes against the system and the way that the world is, that, hey, you, you know, I'm in charge, and, and, and you know, I'm the one that set this up, so you'll talk when I tell you you can yeah. talk, or, you know, hang on, you have to be a certain level of person to be able to have some input or to fully express yourself. Bullshit, it's gone, doesn't exist with me and in the forum that we're creating there. So we've got people that are sharing their stories and being open to being a contribution, even people that may know a little bit about their culture. And I'm saying, put it out there. We don't know everything. You know, it causes community. This is what we're trying to create. We can't create a community where we say, you can talk, but you can't. We want to hear from you, but not from you. Going back to my stuff about the uh, Mardi Gras and that, you know, gay men, we're, we're sticking up for them too. It's not about one part of men. We don't want to, we don't want to talk about them. It's about everybody. So collectively... I'm showing them ways and demonstrating them ways of acknowledging 
being open, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is a huge saying that I have with them and saying that, you know, let's let's hear what Brendan's got to say, his opinion, whether it's it's not that it's right or wrong, it may be effective or ineffective for the outcome that we're going to cause on Anzac Day, but let's have a look at why his um, expression of communication may be good or it may not be ineffective or it may be effective or ineffective at this time. And I allow that there for them so they're open to grow, you know, they're able to grow and to express themselves so it's a double-edged sort of intention there that it's not only about the the corroboree and the haka, it's about growing a way of communicating and a way of being inside of this and demonstrating to them that, hey, this is how you can be and exist in life. So that's that's what's going on underneath that and it's coming together incredibly, man, like, you know, to learn that when those people are comfortable in that setting to express themselves, then they tell us about their culture. They tell us about the magpie and what the magpie means and the yeah. crow and what the eagle means when it flew over us and what the kookaburra means and the kookaburra is present in your setting. Um, you know, the, the tapsticks, the learning that the tapsticks were a thing of the Noongar nation or the Noongar people. They didn't have didgeridoos at all. It's from the East Coast. So didgeridoos didn't exist here and a different, you know, a different way of whaling come from Arnhem Land, like up in the Darwin Northern Territory. And you learn all these aspects and ways of being. They teach you about medicinal medicines, the, the gum tree, you know, the eucalyptus ointment and, and the healing powers of those things. And all of a sudden, this is what's coming out of it. We share our culture and, and the different weaponry, you know, boys being boys, they want to know the different weapons and, and all those sorts of things. So the guys that are really have the knowledge and well-versed and skilled at that are showing them that in a, an environment like we are now where you just lay back and cruisy and chat yeah and you just chat and say hey this is this and like, wow you know so that's what's getting created when we're bringing this all together and i had that from the outset was to to create a community uh, i needed to create a community to disappear those communications that are in the way of awkwardness where we where don't know and we you know don't want to we're not comfortable expressing ourselves so again my creative mind was i've got to get them all together um, I'm a union organiser, so I asked, you know, uh, some union friends, the Maritime Workers Union. They're big in in the Northern Hemisphere where you come from, <laughs> yeah, and they've all got accents very similar to yours, <laughs> but maybe a bit thicker from Liverpool. But um, I was so grateful that you know I ran into a young man there, Danny Kane, who's very, very passionate about men's. He calls it mental health. I call it mind health, and I'm trying to educate him to call it mind health. There's nothing mental about it, and we'll disappear that stigma. But he was just a huge support. I said to him, look, can I get um, some discount on chalets? I don't know how we were going to raise it, but these were just all ideas through conversations. Going back to what I did on the first day I arrived in Australia, go and have a conversation. You never know what will come from it. So I had a conversation with Danny. They come back and loved the idea that much that he said, you know what, we're going to gift it to you, our camp. So I've literally got accommodation for 100 people um, that the Maritime Workers Union has gifted to us for three camps. And I haven't charged anybody for it. You know, keeping aware that there's a lot of financial strain on people. So just come, but bring food. We've had food donations from people. A lot of the people that are passionate about being in action, a lot of people that I've found haven't got money. You know, they're not millionaires. They're not too mm. many millionaires um, that are rolling down there, but they're in action. You know, talk is cheap. You know, um, what do they say? Money talks, shit walks. But, you know, from what I've seen in this experience is that, you know, even that's cheap at times if it's not an action. Yeah. Um, so I created that atmosphere for the people to come together. And out of it, we've had that exchange of cultures, even to the point where last week's camp, we had a lady that's in her 60s, uh, Aboriginal lady that shared her story and her life for the very first time ever and the impact at suicide and, and you know, growing up and the ways and experiences it had on her life. 
So we're creating that in a very, very short time that a lady in her 60s would share, feel comfortable on her second visit to a camp to share her story for the first time ever in front of people that she doesn't know. Not only in her own culture, which she not shared previously, but now she's sharing in front of another culture. And not only another culture, but inside of that, people um, of other cultures too, because I've opened it up to other people. So, that, you know, we're creating this way and this this type of communication and a way of being and feeling that people can express themselves. And it's working because this is what's going on at the camp. And we're disappearing that, hey, I don't know you, Bren, where the fact that I, I tell them, if there's somebody you don't know in this camp, go and introduce yourself to them. Don't stand across the room and kind of rock, and flick your head or give a yeah. thumbs up or go physically up to somebody. And it's this is how we change the way we communicate in society. You know, is that we verbalise what we feel and, and we greet people and we make them feel at home. And so it's coming together and it's causing it to be more and more powerful. We've got our last camp this weekend. Um, and the whole idea and the intention so inside stories it. and practicing the hacker and yeah and lifting the intensity again you know so inside of that again this weekend is going to be a very intense uh, a very intense camp and it's going to be a lot of focus on what our objective is which is to deliver the most powerful performance on anzac day that honors the anzacs but sends our message out there too um, because we've got a message to share with the world the hacker is written it's about men's mind health and suicide awareness so there's declarations inside of that so it's important that we up the intention same thing where we focus in life same thing how you did with your podcast you know you do, you talk about it then you come about with intentions and actions that you need to do to fulfill upon it as it gets closer you're right i need this i need a mic i need a computer i need an iphone and i need some guests you know so uh, unless those actions are taken then this doesn't happen one without the other doesn't make it as effective as what it you know what it can be or what what you want it to be so that's how I've, you know viewed it with my mind is i've got to get these things in place get them together have conversations on my side their side construct it together disappear all this cause a community to happen um, get agreement from the rsl and from the people up there advertise it all and then bring it together for us to deliver this message so one any one of those components that's missing here it's not as powerful as what it can be uh, so that, yeah that's how it's kind of yeah. in essence that's what i'm doing and and it's working man it, it's working incredibly well um and and the great thing out of that too is that i you know it's a demonstration that this stuff works there's a formula and a way of being inside of those things that you have to listen and you have to honor them and, and respect their opinions um but i'm demonstrating that it can work it works i'm seeing it with my own eyes the yeah. world is going to see it what have you learned about yourself through this um, that I can be my word, that I can be a great person and a great contribution to humanity. Um, I've, I've learnt the impact that I can have as a human being when I be my word. Like I say, many years, for many years I was good at words only, but my actions didn't always line up. But when you bring your actions combined with your word and become your word in action or your word as an action and be known as that, it's incredible at what... what change you can make in the world and you know i used to kind of go out and, and feel i needed to fix people but the, the more i've just focused on myself and changed the way that i am as a human being and the way that it changed my vibration as a person the more that it impacts those people around me and then when i ask when i'm a request to people to to come and join me on these sorts of things that it's happening mm. um so yeah i i just know that i can be a, a great contribution to humanity and and that's what I'm seeing for myself and 
yeah, it's it's a bit surreal because I never thought, you know, when I wanted to um, uh, when I wanted to kill myself, um, you know, when you sit in those places of despair, and I never forget, you know, I don't, I've never forgotten any of those feelings. So when I see people in, in those ways and when they're uncomfortable in cultural settings or in open forums to be able to speak, I've experienced it. I don't say what I say or be who I be because I read it in a textbook or because I did a landmark course or anything like that. I take that, you know, those, that, those um, tools that they show you, those communication tools, and I apply it in life but to the stuff that I've already known or to the stuff that I already am. And to see that... You know, to think back from this man that was literally sat in a house similar to this when I was by myself and just thinking, I'm just going to do myself and, you know, it's the world's better off without me. I'm a piece of shit. Mm. Um, I'm a failure. I'm all these things. Um, And to see, you know, the steps that you can take and the way that you can be through declaring and changing things, it's possible for this to happen. I never, ever dreamed it would happen. Never. You know, you think, oh, well, I'll be a great contribution to humanity, but I didn't know what it was in essence, but now I'm creating it. And, you know, this is all part of it, doing podcasts. I never knew I was going to do a podcast when I was up at King's Park there last year doing a video and calling one thing out, but through simple conversations, amazing what happens. So this is, and this is all part of it too. Um, getting my word out there, getting my message out there, sharing the person that I am with the world is, is a powerful thing in sharing. You know, this platform of sharing that you create and then the, the way that I come and focus myself to be here and and take the steps to be able to be prepared, although I was a bit light on sleep last night, apologetically to you, um, but keeping my word to the fact that I've got this podcast and, mm. and and a message that I want to deliver in a way that I want to be as a human being is a fantastic demonstration that you can turn things around. So if you could wrap it all up and give the listeners a short piece of advice from Leon, what would that be? Um, acknowledge yourself take on the practice of acknowledging yourself daily we acknowledge people in life easy to acknowledge others but acknowledge yourself for waking up some days it's just the acknowledgement having the courage to wake up and to be awake and to exist in this day and take that on as a daily practice that's what i do and be you believe in yourself surround yourself with the right people surround yourself with people that see your greatness not see what you're not in life Um, that's very very important Make the changes and make the steps to do self-development, whatever that may be or whatever that looks like. You know, I do Landmark, um, but it's not, the, it's, it's not the only way. You know, There's more than one way. There's more than one way that I'm, in. I'm sharing what I'm sharing, but that's not the only way in life too. Take stuff from everywhere in life that's positive, that fits you. Take, you know, get the formula that's right for you and take that on and, and love people. You know, do things that you never normally have done. You know, connect to your sports and your passions and... And go and be that, and but believe in yourself, you know, and, and realize that you're a unique and and wonderful human being, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter you know the things that you've done. So, if somebody wants to come and see the hacker on Anzac Day, what time and where? Seven a.m. So the service for Anzac Day, we can't forget the service because there's a lot of people that are saying, "What time do you perform?" I mean, yeah. it's, we're there for the Anzac Day service, yep. which kicks off at six a.m. at Kings Park. It's, it's the biggest service in Australia, so they're expecting a crowd of about 60,000 this year. So there's going to be a lot of people get up there early. But 7 o'clock, we will perform at An- on Anzac Day um, on Fraser Ave. It's about 80 metres in off Kings Park Road on the right-hand side. There's a grassed area. You'll probably notice us there. There's going to be a, quite a few Aboriginal warriors dressed up and, and Māori warriors as well, so we won't be hard to spot. But 7 a.m., 7 they've got us pencilled in to be able to start our performance there so we'd love you to be there um 
also Hacker for Life, jump onto our Facebook page. There's lots of information there. Hacker for Life on on Facebook. H A K A F O R L I F E. Just in case you didn't know um, how it was spelled correctly. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know that's where we're at. Um, but come up there. We'd love to see people. Um, I'd love for people to experience. This is the first time that it's ever been done. Um, and I, you know, I had a strong message through our crew last night. We were up at Kings Park practicing, and I said to them, "I want you to get the significance of who you are as people, and the stand that you're making, and for you to know that no other service in the world on Anzac Day will have a hucker and a corroboree. Mm. No other service in the world. So what you're standing for and what you're creating is incredible, and know that. So I would, I'm inviting anybody that wants to witness that and to be a part of that, and it's a, it's a unique opportunity for us as west australians for our state um to be able to start something that can literally um change the face and and the way that anzac day is done but in an honorable way um, not to take anything away from it but to, as an honorable addition to our our most sacred day and come and be a part of that and, and witness it because you can't um you can't see it a first time on mm. the second time you know yeah so, there's only yeah so that's um that's what YouTube's I'm great but it's nothing like the real thing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's probably you know some of the stuff that you see on YouTube um, didn't because of the way the mics are set up and all that the power and um, the intensity of what actually took place on that is actually more powerful than what comes through that YouTube channel and and the stuff that you see on on the YouTube. So if you have the opportunity to come in person, I absolutely invite you to come and attend the service at Anzac Day. It's such a sacred service and a wonderful, beautiful service and then watch us perform and express ourselves and I have every intention of it um, being the greatest message about men's mind health and suicide awareness in the world on that day. So we're we're not coming to muck around on that day. I've got a powerful message that we are going to express to save lives, man. So that's what it's all about. Awesome. Leon, it's been amazing talking to you today. I've, I've loved the 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 focus the passion and the intensity of your message and the and the clarity in which you've articulated it i love the idea about um you know just talking and communicating and getting on out there and not necessarily letting keeping things in and letting it fester but actually getting it out there and then the fact that you've gone out and taken action and it's just you know, it's, things seem to be un, unfolding for you because your message message is, is is so pertinent but so authentic as well. So, Leon, thank you so much for your time. Good brother, it's been thanks. An awesome, yeah. awesome podcast. Oh, it's been an honour being here, and I wish you all the best too on your growth. And any time that I can come back and chat, uh, you got a friend in me, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.